Proverbs chapter 11. We did verses 1 through 5 last week. We're taking a slightly bigger chunk this week. As we look at more benefits of righteousness. Proverbs 11. And let's start in verse number 6. The Bible says, The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. When a wicked man dieth, his expectations shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth suretyship is sure. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to bless this message to come. May you teach us from your word. Teach us to walk in your ways, Lord, in the path of wisdom, in the path of uprightness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I enjoyed the first five verses last week. Boy, they were packed with doctrine, weren't they? And we got into all kinds of doctrines of justification and, and that. It was just so much there. And today there's some of that, but probably a little bit more practical uh, application. But this chapter is, I've entitled it, The Benefits of Righteousness. So it shows us the benefits of walking in a righteous manner. Let's start in verse number six. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. Now this, uh, we ended last week on verse five, and this is kind of repeating the same idea, the same thought as verse five. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. And of course, we saw last week, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but we talked about the righteousness of uh, the perfect, right? What is the righteousness of the perfect? It's imputed righteousness, right? It's not earned righteousness. It's imputed. It's counted to him. He's not righteous in and of himself. He's counted righteous. That's why he says the perfect. The word perfect means blameless. Who among us here is blameless? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Go ahead and lie, and then you won't be blameless anymore. Right? We're not blameless. So how can this man be blameless? The answer is, not only was Christ's righteousness imputed to him, but his sins were imputed to Christ. Christ was punished in his stead. He was declared righteous, and so he is no more guilty of sin. I'm not saying you're perfect when you're saved. You still sin. I still sin. But God no longer counts our sins against us. He disciplines us as children, but he doesn't treat us as enemies. So you and I, if you're saved, we are blameless. We are perfect before God. Not because we're perfect in and of ourselves, but because Christ was blamed for us. 
He suffered for us. And we are righteous because Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. But the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. We saw last week that not only is the righteous only righteous because God imputed to him righteousness, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. In other words, that is what comes from within him. That's all that comes from the heart of man is wickedness. You understand that? There is no, you ever see people, like you talk about somebody else and somebody passes away, oh, they had a good heart. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. If they were unsaved, they didn't. Now, if they're saved, they have a new heart. They have new desires. And we need to start making that distinction, by the way. I know far too many Christians who treat their heart as if it's still wicked. Walk in the righteousness that Christ has given you. Okay? Uh, I hear people pray weird prayers, you know. They'll say, Lord, I know I have a wicked heart. I want to stand up in their prayer meeting and be like, then get saved. Get saved. You shouldn't have a wicked heart. You know, or we love to jump on that verse in Jeremiah, the heart is wicked above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it, you know. That's talking about the unsaved person's heart. Not, not the Christian's heart. The Christian should have a new heart with godly desires. We need to stop walking as if we're still in our sins. That's what sanctification is, by the way. Sanctification is not us becoming more righteous. And that's, I, I, if I had to pick a top five problems with evangelicalism today, number two would be our view of sanctification. Oh, sure, Christ saves us by grace, but then we have to work to earn his favor to become more sanctified. No, nothing we do makes us right with God, ever. The saving and the sanctifying come from Christ, come from within. All sanctification is, Christian, is walking in what Christ has decreed you to be already, holy. That comes from the inside. That flows from the inner man, the renewed man. So the righteous man is declared righteous, and that righteousness directs his way. That's what verse 5 says. How does it direct his way? Because we talked about it last week. This is, come on, guys, this is school time. We're gonna, there's $5. Whoever, no, I'm just kidding. We'll start throwing candy to the crowd. No. How does righteousness direct our way? And the answer is, experiential righteousness is the fruit of imputed righteousness. So our right, the righteousness of Christ is imputed, counted to us, and as a result, we're renewed in the inner man, and that produces fruit of experiential righteousness, which directs our path, because we're following the law of God now. Written on our hearts, lived out from the inner man. That's how it directs our steps. That's how it directs our way. It's fruit of imputed righteousness. But the wicked, see, God doesn't make them wicked. He doesn't make them more wicked. He just turns them over to the wickedness that's in their own heart. And that destroys them. Let's move on and get into today's sermon. Verse 6. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. Okay? shall deliver them. What righteousness delivers you? Imputed righteousness. Get that, get that, get that. 
Say, why are you stressing that so much? Because people don't get that. We are not delivered by what we do. We're delivered by what Christ did. And that is counted to us as righteousness. Do you understand that? We have too much works-based feelings in the church today. Well, it's got to be some part of me. No, it doesn't. The only thing, as R.C. Sproul would say, that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. It's not a partnership between God and us. We do our part, God does his part. We meet him halfway. It's all God. All God. We have to understand that so much of the professing visible church does not get this. It's not what you do that delivers you from your sins. It's what Christ has done. If we could just get a hold of that church, we'd be 10 steps ahead. It's not me. It's Christ. So when I've got a sin problem, and my wife knows I have a sin problem, she knows me. The answer is not, I need to be better. I need to do better. I need to reform my ways. I need to... The answer is, I know the answer. I don't like it sometimes, but I know the answer. I need to surrender more to Christ. I need to surrender more to Christ. My sin problem... What does Romans 6 say? You are a servant to who you yield yourself. So if I'm sinning, I'm yielding myself to sin. So what's the answer to that? Stop sinning. No. How do you do that? Yield yourself to righteousness. The problem with my sin is not the sin itself. It's that my heart is not yielded to Christ as it ought to be. I think it's John Piper, though, how he says it. When I sin, I'm saying in that moment, what this sin offers me is greater than what I believe Christ offers me by not sinning. I, there's more pleasure here in sin than there is here in not sinning. It's just a yielding problem. I'm yielding to the wrong master. That's what's happening. The, I forgot what I was even talking about. That's good when you do that. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. Why? Because it's Christ. It's perfect. It's perfect righteousness. But transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. Or like verse 5 says, the wicked shall fall by their own wickedness. Again, I keep saying this. I want you to get it. We don't preach moralism. We preach the gospel. We don't fight for moralism in our country. We preach the gospel. Would it be nice if America was more moral? Yes. Will moralism make us Christian? No. And therein lies the problem. That's why the gospel is fundamental. Yes, we oppose abortion. Yes, we oppose gay perversion. Yes, we stand for the nuclear family. Yes, we stand for all these things that our society is trying to take away. But we don't stand for them for the, for the sake of themselves. We don't stand for them for the sake of society. We don't support traditional marriage because it's dangerous to marriage to have gay marriage. We don't even oppose the trans nonsense because it's bad for the children. 
We oppose it all because thus saith the Lord. God has spoken. That's why we oppose it. And the only hope for our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know we don't like that answer, but that's the right answer. Moralism can be defined as living by an exterior code of conduct in order to be righteous. There's a lot of churches that teach moralism today. I came from a whole set of churches that teach moralism. You know, my book, I once had a pastor. It's, from, it, it, it's, it's chronicled in there. And these churches, it didn't matter if you knew Christ. All that mattered is that you looked the part and spoke the part. That's all. Just wear the suit, carry the Bible, say amen, comb your hair a certain way. And that's a, that's a godly man right there. All the while, he's not. That's not what we want. I don't want people in our church to look righteous. I want people in our, in our church to live righteously. Amen. And not because of the sake of the church. Not to make our church look good. But because our church should be a body of Christians. And Christians live righteously, not as a code, but from the heart. From the heart. I've been part of churches, I'll be honest with you. 90% were probably unsaved. That includes the leadership. That includes the leadership. I've had a handful of pastors in my life who I look back now and believe they probably weren't saved. They were just three years old, their parents walked them through sinner's prayer, were told they were saved all their lives, all they ever remembered was being told they're saved, and here's how you need to live because you're saved, okay? And they can form their lives to a code. But they don't know the scriptures. Their love for Christ doesn't come from the heart. It's duty. It's a sense of obligation. Other religions have that too, you know. Nobody wants to be a Buddhist, but it believes it'll lead them what they're seeking after. Nobody wants to dress that way or live that way. You kidding me? Think the Jehovah's Witness is happy in Bakersfield in 112 degree weather sitting out in the park by their little purse, their little book stand? They're not there because they want to be. They're there because they have to be. Do you think the Roman Catholic likes doing what they do? No, but they have to do it, or else they'll fall out of favor with God. It, moralism and religiosity, that's not our goal. Our goal is Christ alone, to possess him. You know why Paul was willing to die for his faith? You know why a Roman Catholic is willing to die for their faith? Because they believe that a martyr automatically goes to heaven. No purgatory, just straight to heaven. That's why they don't mind dying for their faith. You know why Paul, as we're going through Philippians Sunday mornings, you know why Paul called death far better? Not because being a martyr was a benefit for him, but he said, I will that Christ is magnified by my body either in life or in death. 
That's not duty. That's love. His desire was that Christ be glorified. Whatever happened to him? Whatever happened to him? I lost my track of myself again. I apologize. None of that is in my notes. What verse are we even on? Let's, just, let's go to verse 7. I don't know. Was I in 6? All right, let's do verse 7. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust just men perisheth. When the wicked dies, his expectation, all he hopes to achieve, dies with him. Catch that now. Because some of you, I promise, will be tempted to go back to the world in your lifetime. You will be tempted to walk away from the faith. You will be tempted to turn your back on Christ. In that moment, I want you to remember this verse. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. You know what that tells me? This world has nothing eternal to offer us. Nothing. Whatever you think you'll gain in the world, you'll leave behind at your death. Nothing eternal. This world offers us nothing but heartbreak. I feel so bad. I watch commercials and stuff, and I see social media, and I feel so bad for this world. They're just constantly chasing, trying to be trendy, saying the right words. The, I don't even know the word to use anymore. Would it be the hip word? My, I was usually called the dope word, but I don't think that's a word anymore. In other words, talking in a modern way, dressing in such a fashion that's acceptable, doing everything. They can never stop. They can never stop. They can never just plateau. It's always chasing. You know why? Because culture constantly changes. What's popular, what's in, constantly changes. So the person out in the world, they're left just trying to claw at the wind, trying to get, and I'm so far behind trends. If I were to do that, I, but then I got to the next trend, it'd be the next trend after that. That's exhausting. You know how tired? There's no rest in this world. And then you chase and you chase and you chase, and then eventually you die. And they put you in the ground, they forget about you, and somebody else chases and chases and chases until they die. There is nothing eternal in this world. There's no peace. There's no rest. People chase fame. And when they get fame, well, the high is not there anymore. So let's throw drugs and alcohol into the mix. Let's throw that. Well, that's not enough. Once you, once you get used to that, there's got to be stronger drugs. There's got to be more daring stuff we can do. They're never satisfied. The heart of man is never satisfied. And when the wicked die, all their hopes, all their dreams are dead. They're dead. I was looking, I joined this group. You know me, I like celebrity graves. I like that kind of stuff. So I joined this group on Facebook and I was sitting at home today after lunch and I passed by on Facebook, I passed by the group and it had a picture of the grave of the singer Selena. Anybody remember Selena? 
She died in the prime of her life. She's like 29, I think. 28. Shot and killed. She wasn't a Christian, you know. She was a nominal Catholic at best. She gave her life from like five years old to the day she died to be perfect, to sing perfectly, to dance perfectly, to get that fame and that fortune. I looked at her grave and it's beautiful, it's ornate. But her plans died that day. And if she dies, I, thought, I think she did it, an unbeliever. She's in hell today with no hope and no expectation of any relief. This world promises so much, but it robs us because there's no eternal value to this world. That'd be in my top five also, church. If I had a top five things we need to understand today, it'd be that. This world is so phony. It's so deceptive. It wears a mask. It tricks us into thinking it has something to offer us. And then the end of it, the mask is taken off. You realize it's just death under there. And there's nothing eternal to it. Get your eyes off of the world and get them on to Christ. Get them on to Christ. And by the way, it's just as bad in the Christian community. Trends, styles, so-called Christian music trends. It's just worldliness under a wrapper of religion. Be careful with that. Those who give their lives for wealth, fame, power, or pleasure leave it all behind. This world promises great things, but you lose them when you leave this world. I wasn't going to have you turn there, but go ahead and put a marker here. Turn to Ecclesiastes 2 real quick. Ecclesiastes 2.14. Solomon says here, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Darkness. Am I in the right chapter? I think I am. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten, and how dieth the wise man as the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. I refer, reference Ecclesiastes a lot because it's very eye-opening to me. 
the wisest, wealthiest, most famous man who ever lived, examining life from a worldly perspective and judging it all vanity. He says here, I said in my heart, as it happened to the fool, so it happened even to me. One event in verse 14 happened to them all. What's that one event? Death. Death. Wise or foolish, rich or poor, famous or unknown, you are all bound to die. I don't mean to make me a downer today. Everyone in this room is headed to death. Everyone here. Everyone on planet Earth. Hundred years from now, almost no one who's alive today will be here. Think about that for a minute. Almost no one alive today will be here. One event happens to them all. So basically, what's the point? Everyone's forgotten. So much for fame. You leave everyone everything to someone else, and what what have they wasted? You have no control over that. Remember, I told you guys, it's... Last week, I think it was. I think it was last week. You're remembered for a very short time after your death, when you think about it. Maybe one generation. Perhaps two, if you're lucky. I gave you guys the example. I visit my mother's grave. When I'm dead... My kids will probably, hopefully, visit mine, and they might visit my mom's. But they won't visit my grandmother's, and their kids won't know of her. She'll be forgotten. And then they may visit my mom's grave, and my grave, but their kids probably won't visit my mom's grave. They might visit mine, and they'll visit theirs, and their kids will forget about mine, They never knew me, but they'll visit. You see how that goes? For a very short time, we're remembered. Within a very short number of years, all of us will just be a headstone in the grass that nobody remembers anymore. Just a name on a marker. What are we living for? If that's all this world has to offer us, what are we living for? I mentioned before my favorite grave. I wanted to get a picture of it at some point and frame it and put it on my wall. Because I forget the man's name and I feel bad. But I mentioned it here before a couple times. He's buried at Westwood Memorial Park. That's a, a, a cemetery that's full of celebrities. It didn't become popular until Marilyn Monroe was buried there. She was the first famous person. And then from then on became very popular. A lot of celebrities. I'd, I'd, I'd probably guess there's three celebrities for every one person in the graveyard. But in the grass, in the old section of the cemetery, there's that one little plaque. My wife and I have seen it several times. It's got a man's name on it. He was buried long before Marilyn Monroe. Has his name. All it has is his name and an epitaph. He lived as he died, a Christian. What a powerful testimony. Who cares about Marilyn Monroe? Who cares about the celebrities who are there, who have perished? This man lived as a Christian, died as a Christian, and he is in heaven today, eternally remembered by God. What is this world offering us? 
to be forgotten one day? What is God offering us? Eternal remembrance, a place at his table, everlasting consolation, as we talked about this morning. Why would you go back to the world? I better back and move on. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse number 8. The righteous is delivered out of, the, out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. This verse is relating to that the Lord will deliver the righteous out of trouble, planned for him by the wicked, and the wicked will suffer it instead. You understand that? I'm not holding on to old grudges, but for those of you who were at the last movie night, thank you, Debbie. You remember the scene where John Huss is burned to the stake. What did they do? They excommunicated him. Let's cast him out of the church. Deliver him to the devil. And declared him a Judas. Methinks on the judgment day, the bishop who did that will find that he is cast out of the kingdom. He is, in fact, a Judas, and his soul will be remanded to the devil. John Huss will sit victorious in the kingdom of God. You understand that? They will perish in the very net that they have set for others. So verse 8 is telling us. We see it throughout the Bible, don't we? Daniel and the lion's den. Remember that one? What happened to the men who contrived that scheme? They and their families were cast into the lion's den. How about the real famous one, Haman and Mordecai? Haman was hanged on the very gallows he built for Mordecai. How about the death of Jesus? Remember that? The high priest said, we have to kill him lest the Romans come and destroy our city and nation. And because they killed him, the Romans came and destroyed their city and nation. We see it in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, don't we? The rich man cast out Lazarus, not just in paradise, but in a place of honor. We miss that in that story so much. Abraham's bosom, you know what that means? He was in the bosom of Abraham. His, his head was resting on Abraham's bosom. That was a place of honor. You go to a feast at someone's house back then and you got to sit next to the host. Or we see John with his head laying upon Jesus' breast. That's a place of honor. And Lazarus, this beggar, and this rich man who had no love, no respect for him his whole life. Now he's begging. Just, just send him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now he's the beggar, and he's the rich man. And this goes back to what I said this morning. God will always avenge his people. The wicked will be destroyed in the snare they've set. Understand that. Verse 9. A hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just 
be delivered. A hypocrite through his mouth destroys his neighbor by drawing him into sin, first of all. The just will be delivered through their knowledge of God. That's what he's talking about here. The hypocrite will draw his neighbor into a sinful life. I remember, I don't think he minds me telling the story. Brother Tatsuo told me a story. When he was unsaved, but the Lord was working on his heart. Uh, and, and Tatsuo, if, if I get this wrong, correct me and I'll correct it next week. There was a professing Christian who was going out surfing with him. Never really talked about the Lord, never seemed interested in the things of the Lord. They leave to go to church, and Tatsuo kept trying to get him to invite him to church. He didn't do it. But later on, when Tatsuo got saved, this man seemed to have want nothing more to do with Tatsuo. You know why? He was a hypocrite. He was trying to hook up with non-Christian friends to get into non-Christian activities. If you remember, if you read George Mueller's autobiography, George Mueller had been spending time with a man named Beta, who was a Christian. And it turns out Beta was just a hypocrite who had hooked up with George Mueller because he was known as a pretty ruckus infidel, and he wanted to get into some of that trouble. Watch out for hypocrites who pose as Christians but have no interest in the things of God. They want to draw others into their path. Misery loves company. They want to draw people away, not lift them up. But their knowledge shall the just be delivered. That is the knowledge of God. A righteous person should see that behavior, shouldn't they? They should recognize it. They should put a stop to it. A good example of this is we saw it on Wednesday night, the harlot who finds a man void of understanding and seduces him to her place. Let's look at that real quick. Proverbs chapter 7. Just go back a couple pages. We read it Wednesday, but I want to read it again so I don't misquote it. Proverbs 7, verse 2. Keep my commandments and live, and my laws as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the ta table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger, which flattereth with her words. Do you see that? By the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the law of God, we are kept from the strange woman who would seduce and draw you into sin. The very purpose, he says there. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding thy kinswoman. That, or you could say so that, they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth her. You, you want to be kept from sin, Christian? Know God. Walk in his ways. That will keep you from sin. Remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Lie with me. And what did he say? Oh, I don't want to take the risk of losing my job. No. How can I sin against God? That's why I say we're missing it in youth group culture today. First of all, we're missing it by having a youth group culture today, but youth group culture is all about don't do this. Rules, moralism, don't do that. 
You don't want to get pregnant. You don't want to do, you don't want to give your heart away. Your, your marriage will never be the same if you do that. That's hogwash. Teach young people to love Jesus and they won't want to sin. You want to keep them from sin? Don't teach them moralism. Show them Christ. That's what kept Joseph from sinning. How can I sin against God? That was his reaction. That will help our children. Not rules and regulations. But you, you know what? Unsaved people love breaking rules. So you give unsaved teenagers rules, they're just going to break them. But you bring them to Jesus. You get them to love Jesus by presenting them the gospel. And they get saved and they love Christ from the heart. And they come to sin. They go, how can I do that? And sin against God. Back to Proverbs chapter 11. Through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Verse 10. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. And when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Now, I want to point out, as I've said before, Proverbs are not promises. You say, Pastor, in our society... Everybody wants wickedness. And when the righteous are, are put out, the wicked shout. These are generally true proverbs. So what we're experiencing in America is not the norm. It's the exception. Normally, when wickedness is punished, people rejoice. That's what it's talking about here. When righteous people are in power, there is rejoicing. And when the wicked are punished, there's also rejoicing. Again, it's a general truth. We live in bizarre times where wickedness is rampant and praised and accepted and celebrated. Okay? So don't leave here saying, all right, I'm going to be righteous. Everyone's going to rejoice at me. No, they're not. This is generally true, but not true for us today. I promise you. I promise you. Our culture loves wickedness. Verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. A very similar phrase to the last one. The blessing of godliness exalts a city or a nation. Now, that's not generally true. That's always true. Godliness will always benefit a nation. And wickedness will always destroy a nation. Why is America in decline? Because the Democrats are in office. Wrong. Because Republicans are in office. Wrong. Because we haven't, uh, it's our currency, it's, it's our domestic policy, it's our foreign policy. No, 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 you're missing it all. It's because we've accepted and celebrated wicked cultures that go against the law of God. That's why we're on the decline. You could argue we've always been on the decline. <laughs> America has got a bad track record, by the way. We founded ourselves on slavery. Don't look at America. People look at America and say, oh, we had so much financial blessing 100 years ago. That was a sure sign of God's blessing. If that's true, then Benny Hinn is a mighty man of God. Financial blessing never means you have God's blessing. Righteousness is a sign that you have God's blessing. 
That's a sign. That's a sure sign. This is not pick on America Day, but I'm telling you. You want America to be better off? Preach the gospel. Exalt righteousness. Live righteously. Teach your children to live righteously. Get your kids out of public schools. Get them into Christian schools or homeschools where they can be taught the word of God. The problem of our nation is not political. It's moral. We have left God. I don't just mean the whole, yeah, we haven't had prayer. It's not about prayer in the schools. I think we shouldn't have prayers in the schools. I don't want some godless person teaching my kid how to pray. No, no, no. We've left off the law of God, the word of God. We promoted wickedness. Wickedness destroys a city, a nation, or a civilization. We're seeing it now, aren't we? What we have now is not sustainable. You understand that, right? This can't go on for a long time. It might go on for 50 years. It might outlast me. I understand that. But eventually the whole thing's going to collapse. Because we have a society today that doesn't even know what a man or a woman is. You can be whatever you want. It's a fairy tale. It's not sustainable. And they know it. What were we talking about yesterday? Where they said something, they knew, oh, we were watching a cartoon last night. And this is a cartoon for adults that's put out by liberal people. I mean, the people who make it are super liberal. And they were making fun of the wokeism. They're making fun of it. They're talking about how this is, we can pretend to be whatever we want to be. I told my wife, I said, see, they get it. Deep down, they know. They know that it's phony. But they love their wickedness so much. God has given them over to believe lies. It's not sustainable. One day it will collapse. The entire nation will collapse. And we're going to need strong, Bible-loving Christians to rebuild it. Because this can't go on forever. You cannot have a society where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. We're already seeing it with the crime. Watch the news the other day. They're talking about how crime is legalized in America, basically. And it is. How are you going to have businesses? How do you make commerce? It's not sustainable, church. Don't lose heart over our society. Be righteous. Preach the gospel. And rebuild when it all collapses. Because it's not sustainable. It's not going to last. We have people pretending to be animals. You see that nonsense? People. So there's one lady on a video. She lives like a cat because she believes she's a cat. Well, she identifies as a cat. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. Government is giving away more money than they have. They're continually borrowing. Government policies being advanced today that literally outlaw human beings living. We've got to save our planet, save our climate. So we outlaw the humans. We can't do anything or else it's going to affect the climate. They've worshipped the creature. They've worshipped the earth so much that they're sacrificing themselves on the altar of their God. It's despicable. Wicked counsel and policy destroy a nation. 
Remember, I mentioned a couple weeks ago the advice given to Rehoboam. Remember that? He turned to the wicked counselors. And what happened? The kingdom was torn in two. Verse 12. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. The Bible commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. A man void of understanding will speak harsh words to his neighbor. That's what the verse is saying. He'll speak harshly. A man void of understanding. You stepped on my toe, Michael. How dare you? I'm going to let into you. I'm going to let into you, and you're going to hear. I'm a man void of understanding. Jackie offended me. I'm going to let her have it and let her know exactly how I feel. A man void of understanding doesn't love his neighbor as himself. He lashes out. He doesn't control his anger. He's an angry and heated and act in a despising manner. A man of understanding will allow for mistakes and bear with his neighbor. Michael said to my foot, I forget, it's no big deal. It's just a foot. Didn't hurt that bad. I, I was at work one time a couple years ago. And somebody backed into my car in the parking lot. I don't know how. I was 40 feet behind them. But anyways, they came up to me. And they said, I hit your car with my car. I walked out there. We looked at it. We had a little bump on the bumper. I said, all right, thanks for telling me. And she stood and she goes, that's it? Wait, yeah, that's it. There's, there's no damage. There's nothing... She goes, oh, man, I did this a couple years ago to somebody else. And they screamed and cussed at me and filed a complaint with HR. I said, no. There's no, no need for that. It's an unsafe woman. She gave me a hug and said, thank you. That, that means a lot to me. It's a wise person that holds their anger and deals respectfully with somebody else. But a man void of understanding, he's going to create conflict and problems by his actions. Control your anger. It ruins relationships. It leads to violence and murder. How many murders happen over road rage today? It's amazing to me. One that sticks out in my head was a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, down here in L.A. somewhere. This guy cuts this lady off on the freeway. She gets so mad, she speeds up just so she can tailgate you and honk her horn and flip him off. And so she got him mad by doing that. And he pulled out his gun and shot it and killed her five-year-old son in the backseat of the car. I think, what a waste. All because you were mad that he cut you off. And for him, all because you're mad because she flipped you off. Boy, that could have been handled much better. Both of them are fools, void of understanding. Control how you respond to situations. That's what that verse is telling us. Verse 13. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. The subject here is gossip. Someone who can't be a confidant. Someone with a faithful spirit keeps secrets and trusts them. Now, obviously, these aren't wicked secrets, right? I mean, you come to me and you're like, I gotta stop picking on people. I'm sorry. My wife cries if I pick on her too much. 
The guy comes and says to you and says, I saw Trinity. You don't go here. I can pick on you. I saw Trinity down at the strip club. He was drunk. We got two problems there, don't we? Don't conceal that. That needs to be confronted and dealt with. But Trinity comes to you and says, you know what? I got this real problem with pornography, and I'm trying to fight it and surrender myself to Christ, and I need an accountability. Well, you know what you don't do? You don't go to Joseph and say, you know what? Trinity looking at porn. Or you, just, you disguise it. You go to the prayer meeting. Trinity's got a big spiritual problem. He needs prayer over. I can't tell you what it is, but he's looking at dirty things on the internet. Don't do that. Love conceals the matter. Love is there to help their brother or sister. Not to parade their secrets around the church. A fool does that. Don't conceal sin. But someone comes to you with a real struggle, a real problem, it's not for you to tell other people their problem. They came to you. A talebearer reveals secrets. Don't be a talebearer. Keep those secrets. He that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. In other words, someone comes to you and says, I got a problem. I, I'm so broken up over this, and God's working with me. I need some help. Be of a faithful spirit. Keep that to yourself and help the brother or sister. But don't take it to somebody else. Don't spread it around. That's foolishness. Verse 14, this verse speaks of human government. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. A single ruler or dictator is a dangerous thing. Now, I'm not trying to say that the American government we have today is in the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a much safer form of government to have many voices. Right now, the way our country was intended to be was much better than it is today. Because now we're divided by party and ideology, right? You're either a liberal or a conservative. And you can't break from your ideology to help the other party because that would be tra traitorous. You get punished for it. But originally, there was no real parties. There was no real split-down-the-middle ideology. So the idea the founders had was to have many voices, many advisors for laws. A president has a cabinet. The cabinet's intended to be many advisors to give good advice. Now, it becomes yes-men who just go along with whatever he wants to do. What it's saying is many voices bring reason to chaos. Now you can have a godly king who rules well, but typically those kings have advisors and many advisors who speak to them. Rehoboam despised good counsel for bad counsel. But in general, there is safety when one person isn't in charge. You understand that, right? There's safety in that. Even in the church, right now, I'm the only pastor because we only have 20 people. Ideally, it'd be nice to have several pastors to bear the load of the church. You know why? Because mine isn't the only voice that matters. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter. 
many voices. That's why I call on many people for counsel. Because I want to hear different ideas. Many pastors rule with a heavy hand. God put me in charge. I have. God speaks to me and I do it. That's not biblical, church. It's not biblical. That's not how it ought to be. That's why I tell you guys, I don't want yes men. You think I have a bad idea? Tell me, Pastor, that's a terrible idea. I don't, want to do, I don't want to do wrong things with Christ's church and look back and say, well, everyone told me that was a good idea. Well, you're the pastor. They want to support you. No. I'm one person. I may have some crummy ideas sometimes. Feel free to tell me that. That's how it ought to be. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. Verse 15, my last one. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. And he that hateth suretyship is sure. We've seen this before. Those who become surety for someone else, if they're unrighteous, well, this will cost the one pledging, won't it? You co-sign for someone, and they're not godly with, with their money, what's, what happens? You're paying the bill. It's better not to co-sign. Don't be a surety for somebody else. Don't be surety for somebody else. If you want to help them, that's fine. There are ways to help people. There are godly ways to help people. But don't, don't put your name on the line for somebody else. Because they're going to ruin your name. There's safety in not doing that. The only way to, to be safe is not to co-sign, not to be surety for somebody else. A little, little application as we finish up. True imputed righteousness brings about personal acts of righteousness. Remember that? There is real, tangible fruit in the Christian life. So I know people who are saved, they don't have any fruit. Then you don't know people who are saved. We need to start rehearsing that to ourselves. If they don't bear fruit, they're not connected to the vine. Do you ever have a tree full of fruit, but that one branch just won't bear fruit? No, a healthy tree is bearing fruit on all its branches. You cannot be part of Christ and not bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is not weak. He's not weak. He's not in you. You say, well, he's trying, but my will is just stronger than his. No. If you're not bearing fruit of righteousness, you're not saved. Get saved. That's the first step. This fruit should flow naturally from the inner man. It should not be an exterior set of rules that we struggle with. Do you get that? Righteousness should flow naturally if you're truly born again. The hope of the wicked will perish with him. Righteousness, church, is eternal. The righteous will re be rescued while the wicked will perish in their own schemes. A righteous person keeps a secret and can be trusted. When the righteous rule a city is blessed. When the wicked rule, they bring society to ruin. Remember that when you go vote, by the way. Remember that. Wicked people in power bring a nation to ruin. In the multitude of godly counsel, there is safety. Always seek godly counsel. And please, as your pastor, be godly counsel for me. Because I am not special. I'm not God's only means of communicating with the church. 
I want you to understand that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't let anger control you. Be patient and peaceable with others. Righteousness brings peace in society, peace among friends, and peace among neighbors. Walk in righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for tonight and for your word. I just love these Proverbs, the principles we can draw for our, our lives. Lord, help us to be righteous people, not, not because we have a code of conduct to keep, but simply because we have been declared righteous by you. May we walk in what you have declared us to be already, blameless, holy, and righteous people. Help us, Lord, to be people who can be trusted with secrets, people who control our anger, to live peaceably with others. We ask for righteous rulers. Lord, we ask, I ask for godly counsel for myself, for others in the church. I recognize that I'm not the king of the church. I'm not a tyrant. I'm not, though I'm called to lead, to guide, and to feed the flock, I am a fallible person. I ask you to give me good, honest counselors. Lord, I, I pray that we will remember that wickedness perishes, but righteousness is eternal. Get our eyes off the world and onto Christ. May we draw nearer to him. Thank you for this time and the meeting, Lord. We thank you for Brother Jed, who's been with us and since before I got here. We're so sad to see him go. It's like a member of the family is leaving. Be with him. Bless him where he goes. All that he serve you, Lord, all the days of his life. And live in absolute surrender. Bless our fellowship to come after. Bless the food. May it all be centered on Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.